welcome. Uh, my name is Wyatt Sparks. I am not John Duncan. Uh, I'm taller and better looking. And he's at a wedding having a good time uh, with the sportsmen's. And so he didn't want to try to rush back here and, uh, and do the lesson today, so he graciously let me fill the pulpit for him. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing sometimes to get in the, uh, and speak to the congregation. And I, I have tried to let God speak today and just use me as a vessel. I've tried to empty the things I might want to say. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture, really, and letting God speak to us through those. You know, we read Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and one of the names that Jesus is called there is the Prince of Peace. And it also says that the increase of his government and his peace would be never-ending and ever-increasing. You know, we've been talking about the church, the bride of Christ, and I think the Prince of Peace deserves a bride of peace, which, of course, is the church. I start thinking about ways we could have peace in our lives. Um, you know, we live under a lot of stress. We have a lot of deadlines. Uh, we have a lot of turmoil. We have a lot of conflicts in our life. Uh, we have a lot of sorrow uh, that comes into our life. So I wrote down some things when I started thinking about that. Well, here's some advice, you know. Uh, exercise regularly, and that, that, that'll help you. Uh, eat well. Uh, most of us do that pretty good. Uh, plenty of sleep. You know, get that rest you need. Uh, learn to be content in whatever situation you're in. Uh, rid yourself of earthly possessions. You know, sometimes possessions possess us instead of us possessing them. Then I, I came across a scripture that I like a lot. It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business and to work with your hands so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Well, all those seem like nice things, and if you want, you can make a list of those six things and write them down and, and apply them. But, you know, I read a scripture in Philippians that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, you know, all these things that I suggested would be helpful in having a little peace in your life. But when I read that term, peace that passes understanding, I'm afraid eight hours of sleep ain't going to give you that. And I started thinking about all the things that are going on in the world. Have we got peace in the world? We have wars and conflicts going on around the globe. Uh, we have a civil war in Syria where they're killing each other. Uh, we have civil wars and conflicts uh, around the world. Uh, do we have peace in our country? Uh, you know, we got political parties battling each other. We have uh, special interest groups battling each other. Uh, how about in our community? We have peace in our community. Uh, I look around and see some of the same things. You know, certain people want this and certain people want that, and so they're battling over what what's going to go on there 
how about in your friendships in your life do you have peace how about in your family you know i offer to trade my brother for anybody else's brother anytime they want but nobody's taking me up on that deal what about in your marriage have you got peace in your marriage so when i started thinking about that all this i'm thinking jesus said i'm the prince of peace he's come he's died where is the peace well, I think maybe we're looking at uh, peace in, from an incorrect direction, maybe I should say. You know, we have no control over the things that go on around us in general. Uh, we don't have any control about what country is going to battle what country and, and what actions they're going to take. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, we don't have any control on what our government does. Uh, we don't have any control on what our neighbor does. We don't even have any control on what our spouse does. So how in the world can I have peace when everything around to bring peace is out of my control? Well, you know, the battle is not around us. The battle is in us. And when I say that, you know, we are have two natures within us. We have a spiritual nature and we have a fleshly nature. And that's where the real battle is going on between being spiritual and being earthly or fleshly or carnal. Uh, Paul said it better than I can say it. He said, we know that the law is spiritual but I am unspiritual, <laughs> sold as a slave to sin. Now listen to what he says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But whatever I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. <laughs> Is that making sense? You know, that what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, what I hate, that's what I do. And he goes on to say, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work when I want to do good, evil is right there with me for my inner being i delight in god's law but now listen to this but i see another law at work in my members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members what a wretched man i am who will rescue me from this body of death Pretty bleak, isn't it? 
But we have a war waging within us. That's where the war's at. And if we want peace, we have to win that war that's raging within us between our fleshly nature and our spiritual nature. Uh, you know, in the garden, God made a, made a covenant with Adam and Eve. It was pretty simple. Here I've given you a paradise to live in. Uh, I'm going to be with you and live with you and commune with you. Uh, it's all yours, eternal life. All you have to do is don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. That was his covenant with Adam and Eve. And, of course, we know what happened. They did what they didn't want to do. They ate of the tree, and God separated himself from, them, from him and from the garden, and he put a, 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 a curse on their lives after that. Later, God made a covenant with Moses. He wrote it in stone, and he said, Keep these commandments, and I will bless you. Break these commandments, and I will curse you. Guess what happened? There wasn't anything wrong with the, command, with the covenant, with the commandments. Those covenants came from God, and they were perfect. The problem was the other side of the covenant, which is us, which is man, we couldn't keep the covenant. We broke our part of the bargain. And so God, when God says, you do this and I'll do this, you do this and I do this, and we don't do it, then God can't, can't bless us like he wants to. Because we have broken part, part of that covenant. We have broken the agreement that God had with us. Um, so God made a new covenant. And this is the covenant Mike was reading about. Now I want you to understand how different this covenant is. Because God looked and he had a covenant with man and he already knew the weak link in there was what? Man. He couldn't keep his side of the covenant. And so I want you to look at this new covenant that God made. Now this is what he says in Hebrews. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Now listen, but God found fault. Did he find fault with the covenant? No. He found fault with the people and said, There is a time coming, declared the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be a covenant like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. It's not going to be like that covenant he had written on stone. Why? Not that it wasn't good, not that it wasn't perfect, but it says here, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. I want you to realize that God is saying this because he wanted a covenant with man. He wants to bless us. But when he has a covenant with us that we don't keep, that we break, he has no choice but to turn away from us. And that's what happened. And, and, and that brought God a lot of pain every time it happened. Okay? Because they did not remain faithful. 
This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after this time, declares the Lord. He's making a new covenant. I want you to listen to it. Starts out, says, I will put my law in their minds and in their hearts. I will. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his brother or a man, his brother saying, uh, Lord, know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their witness and will remember their sins no more. Now listen. This covenant is different because it's heavy on the God side. Because he's not going to break his covenant. So if we look at this covenant, God said, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my law in your minds and in your hearts. It's not going to be written on stone anymore. It's going to be written on your hearts. And I will be your God. Uh, you won't be having to, to, to teach your neighbor anymore because you're all going to know who I am. And then the, the part of this covenant I really love, it says, I will forgive your wickedness and remember it no more. You realize that? This covenant is a covenant where all your transgressions and your wickedness, God is going to erase from his memory. He's not only not going to remember the sins you've committed in the past, he's not going to remember the sins you commit in the present, and he's not going to remember the sins that you have in the future. This covenant erases all the, the, the his sin from his memory. What was the cost of the covenant? He used the example, you know, in the old covenant we had blood. The, the covenant was sealed with a sign of blood. It's no different with the new covenant. But this time the sacrifice was perfect. The sacrifice covered it all. And Christ paid the price with his blood to bring in the new covenant. Okay? So... If you have a covenant, you have, we look at God's side. He's going to keep that. That's a perfect covenant. So what's our side of this new covenant? Well, we have to believe. <laughs> well, believe what? Uh, do, do you remember uh, Jesus was teaching in Capernaum and everybody had gathered around. There were so many people there that it, 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 it were packed around him. There were some friends that had a paralyzed man, a paralytic, and they wanted to get him to Jesus. And so what they do, they carried him up on the roof and they dug a hole through the roof and they let him down. And when Jesus saw him, you know what he said? Sons, your sins are forgiven. And the people standing around you know what they thought who does he think he is who does he think he is only God can forgive sins he knew what they were thinking and he said which is easier to say to this man your sins are forgiving given or take up your mat and walk and so he said Take up your mat and walk. And the guy got up and took his mat and went home, it says. 
He didn't think he was God. He knew he was the Son of God. And we need to believe he's the Son of God and that God sent him. And we need to believe that he was a ransom for our sins. We need to believe that his blood has ransomed us and set us free from sin committed under the first covenant. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Let me make a suggestion. If you have no peace in your life, maybe you're still living under the old covenant. Because you see, under the old covenant... Uh, you, you remember the one that Moses brought down from the hill carved on a stone and it said, uh, thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not uh, bear false witness and thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, you know that covenant. The, the one God said, if you keep it, uh, I'll bless you and if you don't keep it, I'll curse you. Uh, yeah. If you're living under that covenant, you know what? You violated your part of the covenant. If you're living under that covenant, you cannot have peace because the things you don't want to do, that's what you do. And we have this constant battle of how can I, what can I do and how can I do this? And all of a sudden, we can't perform our part of the covenant. Okay? Here's a scripture in Ephesians. It says this. Remember... That at, that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were fallen away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace. He who made the two one and destroyed the barrier and dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments. Now listen. He abolished the law and the commandments and the regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man. One new man out of what? Out of the two that are warring within us. Out of the two and thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which we put to death their hostilities. He came and preached peace to you who were afar away and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus came preaching peace to unify the, the two into one and to reconcile them to God. And that's what he's done. Do you know what the last words Jesus spoke on the cross were? In one place, that's what it's, he said, forgive them when he was on there, but that wasn't his last words. Huh? It is finished. 
It is finished. He knew that everything, his purpose, and that God had sent him to do was finished. And then it said, he gave up his spirit and died. He accomplished what God had sent him to do. It was finished. And we have to know and believe that the thing he came to do to reconcile us to God and bring us to peace is finished. And there's nothing... There's nothing we have to do. There's no regulations, no laws, no traditions. We just have to believe that he is who he was and who sent him. Okay? Um, do you remember the church at Laodicea? Well, in, in Revelations, the third chapter, he addresses seven churches. Uh, through John and Revelation and talks to those seven churches about where they are and what's going on. And Laodicea is one that I remember and you remember because they weren't hot or cold. They were lukewarm. And what did Jesus say he's going to do? Spit them out. That's what we remember about the church at Laodicea. That's what I remember about the church at Laodicea. But, you know, I think we need to look a little closer at that because that church is the bride of Christ and he's talking to the his bride in the in the revelations to Laodicea. Look what he says. I know your deeds that they are neither hot nor cold. Okay? I always thought he said, I know you and you're not hot or cold. But he, he that isn't what he said. He said, I know your deeds are neither hot or cold. I wish they were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. See, I missed that one little word in there too, about. You see, he was at the verge of wanting to spit them out of his mouth. That's where he was at. Okay. Then he goes on to explain a little bit more. He says, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Do you know any churches that might be like that? Where we as a church and people have acquired so much wealth that we look around and we say, I don't need anything. And I hate to say this because... Uh, when my birthday comes around, there's nothing to buy for me because I have everything. And we're struggling. You know, we got to go buy Chia Pets at Christmas to give people because they have everything else. You know? And so when I read this, it really, it really struck me. I think I'm one of those people sitting in the church at Laodicea sometimes. But Jesus didn't say this to condemn them because I want you to see what he says right after this. And I want you to realize he's speaking to his bride that he loves. He says, uh, well, I got to finish what he says about them too. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Pretty bad, isn't it? You think you're rich, but instead of being rich, you're really poor, 
you're really pitiful, you're really blind, and you're naked to boot. Now, here's what Jesus said next. Remember, this is the bride of Christ he's talking to. He said, uh, I counsel you. Some say, I want to give you some advice. But I think he said, I want to have a heart-to-heart talk with you about where you're at. Why? Because I love you. He says, you need to buy from me gold that's refined in fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. So when Jesus looked upon the church at Laodicea and saw the condition was, all he wanted was to help them get to where they, he, they needed to be. Where they could be truly rich. Not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Rich. So that they could be uh, clothed with white raiments. Uh, pure. So that they could have salve for their eyes so they wouldn't be blind anymore. Then look what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So why was he telling this? Because I love you. and So I'm rebuking and disciplining you because I love you. So be earnest and repent. Now listen to what he says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in (laughs) and I will eat with him and he will with me you see even the church that we look at he called shamefully naked and pitiful and blind and poor he was standing there waiting for them to open the door and let him in so that he could come back in and have an intimate relationship with him. You know, when we eat together, that's usually a pretty intimate fellowship we have. Uh, you know, I cook hamburgers at Mountain Family Fellowship every year. Not because I love to cook hamburgers for you, but I love to eat with you and I love to fellowship with you. And I remember the, one of the first years I did it, uh, a good friend of mine, Tillman, came in, didn't get to, to Mountain Family Fellowship till 11, 12 o'clock at night, and you know what? He was hungry. And he knocked, and we fired up the grill, and we, we had an intimate time sharing with each other why we had a meal. That's the intimate relationship Jesus is seeking with his bride, with us. Now listen to what he goes on to say, because this really blows me away. To him who overcomes, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne. If you overcome, Jesus said, I want you to come and sit down on my throne with me. To be a, 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 such an intimate part uh, of the kingdom of of God that you can sit on the throne with me. 
It's not going to be a deal where you're here worshiping me. We're brothers and sisters. We're fellow heirs of the kingdom. And then he makes this relation. He makes this statement too. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, what a beautiful picture. That Jesus overcame, sacrificed, died on the cross, was resurrected, and then God said, I am so pleased with you. Come and sit right here on the throne with me. And in the same way, Jesus said, if you'll overcome, if you'll, if you'll get the things from me you need, I want to, you to enter back in that relationship with me, and I want you to come and sit down on the throne with me. And then he says this, he who has an ear, listen, you don't even need two ears, you just need one. You know, if you just have one ear, that's all you need. (laughs) Ear, hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Okay? You know, when we... We started talking about this. We're the bride of Christ, and we've been talking about the bride of Christ. You know, there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to present his bride to the Father. He's going to present us, the church, to his Father. And, of course, he's going to say, here's my bride, and we're going to be clad in robes of white, uh, pure and holy and beautiful and bright. You know why? Because those robes were dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stand before God because of the blood of Christ that's cleaned us up. And you know what it says? God's not going to remember any of that sin because The blood of Christ has covered it over with the new covenant and it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. You see, when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he took the cup and he said what? This is the blood of covenant, the new covenant that I'm pouring out for you. And so... If you have no peace in your inner self, maybe it's because you don't realize what the blood of Christ has done and what new covenant we're under. Because, see, when we're under that new covenant, we understand that. Then things that normally would upset us or things that we think, I have to do it. uh, No. God said, I will, I will, I will. And if you'll just believe in me, I'll bless you, I'll bless you, I'll bless you, I'll bless you. Uh, I was talking with my daughter, Cammie, a little about this. And when she got got through, she said, you know, well, I'm, I've been trying to do And then she caught herself. Uh, I, I, it's not what I've been trying to do. Because, see, we're right back under the old covenant if it's about what I can do or what I'm trying to do or how well I can do it. If you want to live under that old covenant, you know, uh, God bless you somewhere, I guess. (laughs) Because nobody else has been able to live under it. 
But the new covenant, the blood of Christ, gives us robes that are washed white in the blood of Christ. So, I want to urge you to find peace, the peace that passes understanding in the blood of Christ. And knowing and understanding that that sacrifice covers our sins and covers us and gives us peace. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you for your son, uh, his sacrifice and his love. Father, we thank you for that blood that's been poured out for us in that new covenant. And Father, forgive us when we go back and try to live under that old covenant and and crucify Christ all again, Father, for, for no reason. We ask that as the bride of Christ is the church, you'll help us be a church of, of peace, a peace that passes understanding uh, that comes only through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the, your love and his love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, we sing a song. We have a tradition. If you, you know, if you haven't come in contact with the blood, uh, we urge you to do that. If there's any way we can help you or pray for you, we urge you to do that. Uh, Brian? Lord, make us instruments of your peace.